Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Leading Conversation with me, Tom Lawson Scrub, and former Blitzbot captain, Kyle Brown. Apologies for the delay of a week in releasing this podcast, but I've just come off my first experience of a bio bubble and I've been totally immersed in the hustle and bustle of bubble life, trying to perform, keep people happy. What an experience it was. Perhaps it's a podcast topic in itself. Today, myself and Kyle are joined by former Proteas hockey player and now senior manager at Adidas, Kate Woods, formerly known as Kate Hector. Kate has been to three Olympic Games, playing over 150 times for her country, and moved from the AstroTurf seamlessly into the corporate world. Having been offered a job at Adidas while still playing, she now manages a team in Cape Town in the marketing department, having worked previously in both Dubai and in Germany for the same company. Kate is nicknamed the Lioness, as she's both warm, but not someone to be crossed. She's a real go-getter and someone who believes deeply in the power of team, of optimism, and of pursuing your goals relentlessly. We really enjoyed our time with Kate as she recounted some very relatable stories about her time as a hockey player, as well as managing people, speaking in front of big crowds overseas, and really just adjusting from sport life to the corporate life. We love making the link between the two and have no doubt that you will enjoy this one as Kate is someone that is clearly inspirational and very well traveled. Enjoy. Right, good day everyone. Um, Kyle Brown, uh, lovely to have you on a wet Cape Town stay. How are you today? It's actually raining a little bit in the Winelands too, so for once we're matching with weather. So good, good, uh, nice warm day to be stuck inside and, and chatting some good things about leadership. I can see you've got your winter jacket on there, and uh, we are so privileged to have with us Kate Woods. Uh, Kate, it is great to have you. How are you on this uh, wet Cape Town day? Good morning, gents. It's a privilege to be chatting to you guys right now. Awesome. Thank you for having me. <laughs> no, well, cool. Yeah, thank you, Kate. It's it's so nice to be here. I mean, um, from Olympian to, to leader at Adidas, uh, I know that you've got some stories to tell and we look forward to climbing, climbing into those. Maybe just, um, uh, you know, for, for, for people listening who maybe don't know you, um, if you were to, and it's such a difficult question to start, but if you tell, tell us a little bit about your journey from the AstroTurf to the boardroom um, with maybe one highlight and one lowlight in making that transition from AstroTurf to boardroom, it would be great to hear. Thank you, guys. Well, firstly, it's a, it's a great honor to be with you guys. And, and the cast that precedes me um, is quite daunting and intimidating. I hope I can live up to them. The likes of uh, Sia and John and Mr. Jeff himself, Sam Paddock. Um, but definitely having Kev Foot Online has taken you guys to another level. Your followership is, is at new heights. So well done. <laughs> and, I, and I look forward to, to joining the cast today. So um, Kate Woods, Kate Hector, um, as I was born. Now Kate Woods. Um, yeah, I've had a really an amazing um, sporting career. So lucky to have competed, um, you know, at the highest level for my country for, for over 10 years. And, and as you mentioned, you know, transitioning that sort of from athlete into the workplace. Um, how lucky am I in that a company like Adidas believed in me and while they sponsored me as a player, they were also the ones to say, come and start to work for us. We're going to support you as you're transitioning, still playing, but transitioning out of your career and starting your professional one. Um, and so really they have, they have facilitated this and so I'm forever grateful um, to the company for that. Um, really, really amazing to you know have gained so much um, sort of skills, experiences, a, a toolbox I call it, um, on the sports field that I've been able to seamlessly transition into the workplace. 
Um, so growing up, I, I'm surrounded by men, by men, both growing up and now. Um, I had three brothers. I now have three sons. Um, and so I've always kind of been uh, sort of the, the rugby ball that my brothers have thrown around or the fielder on the cricket side, on the cricket field. Um, and now and now really, yeah, having just grown up um, on the side of the sports field, either watching, playing, spectating, um, to now working in the sports industry has, has really been amazing. So, I mean, if I, if I look back at uh, my sporting career, um, sure, it was a long one. And so there are many, many highs as well as some lows, but certainly the three Olympic Games, I think, stand out for me as, as memories etched in the memory bank forever. Um, really, those experiences, I think, helped shape me. Um, and all of them meant different things to me um, and at different stages of my life. So, so those three Olympics, I could definitely talk about for a long time. Um, a low point, I guess, you know what I want to say, a low point, uh, you know, coming into the workplace is that the sports career ends at some stage. It, it has to end as you, as you begin the next. Um, so I'm, I, I'm itching to, to get back onto the field. I couldn't do half as, as what I used to do. Um, but, you know, it's, it's kind of being able to transition, I guess, um, and let go of one thing and start the other, but at the same time carry with you this arsenal of, of tools. Um, also, I'm sure we're going to dive into the to the workplace. Lots of highs and lows here as well. Lots of learning curves, steep learning curves along the way. So I'm sure we'll we'll unpack some of them as we go along. Kate, can we have a, a look at that transition? I mean, you, you just mentioned that that uh, you, you sort of brushed over that transition, but it's quite an important uh, mm. part yeah. in so many. Well, it's actually a, a pivotal part in so many athletes' lives. And uh, you know, what what would help you make a successful transition? Um. Yeah, I think, you know, sport teaches you a lot of things. Um, the biggest thing for me is, is obviously um, like the teamwork and, and being part of a team, understanding the role that you play within your team. You know, everyone, <laughs> there's, some, there's something inside each and every one of us that wants to be the hero, that wants to be the, the goal scorer. And it's just not the case. It's not that you can be the goal scorer in every aspect of your life. And so it really is understanding the, the role that you play within each and every team um, and playing to that role incredibly well. You know, the thing that it also taught me is um, performing under pressure. Um, you know, be it full stadiums, believe it or not, hockey players, we did get some, some full stands um, at some stage. But, you know, full stadiums, whether it's, a, you know, a qualifying game, you, you win this, you're on the road to the Olympics, you lose, you're out. Um, you know, dreams are smashed in that moment. And so, or either built or, or smashed in that moment. And so there are those moments of just where BNT needs to come forward like you can't believe. And, and they exist in the workplace as well. I'll never forget, um, I was three months into my role um, in Europe. Um, you know, I'm now suddenly the lonesome South African working in, across our, our Adidas business in Europe. Three months into the role, I had to stand on stage, a 360 degree stage, mind you, um, and present to one and a half thousand people. Um, you know, it was just this moment where you're on the stage, everyone can see you and, and you've got to perform. And a lot of like what you learnt on the sports field like gives you weapons and gives you experience to stand up and, and deliver in those moments as well. I think um, accountability is one that I'm, I think has been incredibly important. Um, you know, in the workplace now, feedback culture and, and taking responsibility um, for your work, it, it, it comes with its, its sensitivities. You know, people, some people don't like to receive feedback. They don't like to be called out. They don't sometimes, um, you know, hold themselves accountable enough. Whereas in the sports field, the video doesn't lie. You know, if, if you if I'm marking my man and she scores, I'm going to get called out for it. I, I can't hide behind that, you know. And so you learn very quickly um, to take ownership of your responsibility um, and to take accountability when things don't go according to plan. And it's about putting your hand up and saying, 
I didn't do enough there. I didn't mark my man. She scored. But next game, I can assure you, it's not going to happen again. And so it's, it's quite literal and practical in, in the, on the sports field. Um, but taking those skill sets into the workplace has been, has been vital. Um, I think also just the, the one thing that we do very well as, as athletes and sportsmen and women is, is winning together and losing together. And that sometimes is a, a quality or value that's, that's foreign to some people in the workplace. You know, work is work. You turn up, you count your hours, you do your work and you go home. Um, but on the sports fields, you know, this is your team. And when you win, you win together. And when you lose, you, you lose together. And, and that quality has been amazing to share with, with some of my teammates here in the office is that it's not about calling out one or two people. Every person in my team in this workplace has a role to play. And it's important that we, that we share those, um, those wins together. Um, Duncan Woods, um, my, my personal coach, um, and hubby as well, um, <laughs> he, a wonderful quote that, that he said to me is, is, credit is the only thing that never gets smaller when shared. And I think that's such a great value that you learn on the sports field and, and transition here. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that's awesome. a very, very cool thing. Yeah, I mean, you, you spoke about being surrounded by men and sports. I mean, your husband was a national water polo captain. Your brother played professional cricket. I believe your father was a very talented sportsman. So you, sports runs deep in the veins. Um, Kate, you started to allude to values. What is the one value that you most like being around? Oof, um. I would say I'm drawn to people that have a very deep passion, passion and positive energy. Um, I think I am quite high energy myself and and I'm very passionate about things, but I I just am drawn to this quality because I think it's, it's just incredibly important, whether it be in family, with friendship groups, on certain topics, on the sports field, when someone brings their full passion, I think it's incredibly powerful. No, thanks, Kate. Uh, uh, so you started to talk, and Kyle spoke a little bit about um, what you've taken from sport into your corporate world. I want to go the other way around, because that often gets spoken about. Now, you've been to three Olympics. you played countless tests for, for South Africa, for your country. You've been successful. If you were to now, now that you've worked in three different countries uh, in the corporate world, what would you like to take from what you've learned at Adidas and put back into your younger self playing for the, 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 the ladies hockey team, the national ladies hockey team? Sure, that's a great question. I haven't thought about it like that before. Um, going back, you know what? I'd work harder. <laughs> I'd work harder and I wouldn't take any opportunity for granted. Um, you know, there were those phases, you go through a phase and, and normally it's probably like a four-year cycle um, of, of playing a couple of qualifying tournaments, regionals, provincial tournaments, building up to, to World Cups and, and then ultimately it's the Olympic Games. So if I look at that four-year cycle, you know, there are phases of that cycle that uh, you go through dips where you're not maybe as motivated um, as you need to be, um, where you're coasting a little bit or, or maybe, you know, not, not seeing to the fitness that you need to 100% of the time. I'd go back and I'd give it... 200% for every single day I could because there's only a period of time um, that you've got and and I, and I and I don't have any regrets I mean I think I worked hard and I've, I've certainly um, managed to clock a lot under the belt but it's just it's just so priceless and so I'd work harder I'd run harder and I yeah I, I think I'd, I'd hope that that energy and, and that work ethic would rub off on the rest of the team um, I think we take it for granted, you know. I, I was lucky enough to stand out there 181 times and, and sing the anthem for my country. 
but it's only 181 times in my lifetime. And so I'd go, go back and savor every single, every single one of those seconds and moments. And as a, as a, as a youngster, I mean, I was goal-driven, KPI-driven. Um, I think today all the personality assessments I've done um, um, show that as well. But, but I, I had a sign on my cupboard door that, that said Athens 2004. This was when I was a lighty. But I, I had that goal, I had that dream and vision. And, and so every day when I woke up, it reminded me of, of what my ambitions were, what I was going after, what my ultimate dream was. And, and I am so fortunate that it came true, but it was through hard work. So, you know, I think it was there, but I, I'd go back and I'd, I'd give it even more, Tom. Yeah, that's fascinating. You know, this this concept of having a goal and a dream, it, it's so, often so tangible in sport. You know, like I want to win a trophy, I want to go to the Olympics, so I want to do this. You know, you and Kyle have experienced that. You know, you've both been to the Olympics, you've both won trophies. Um, have you found it possible to replicate that now working at Adidas? To replicate that finite goal that brings about that passion? Yes. But I would say that what I've learned the most is actually not to chase KPIs in the workplace. And probably if I look back at sport as well, the biggest lesson that I've learned over these last sort of 10, 15, 20 years is, is to actually to focus on the performance and not the outcome. Honestly, this is true. If I, if I can spend a, a few minutes here and give you some examples. Building up to 2004 Athens Olympic Games, we were, we were facing Holland in game one. Now, Holland, the Dutch were number one in the world, and we had them first up in my first Olympics at a prime age of 23 years old, 22 years old. And, um, and unfortunately, um, our coach and our leadership team, uh, you know, we set our, our sights on beating Holland in game one of the Olympic Games. Now, are we dreaming or what? It was an incredibly <laughs> unrealistic goal. Yeah. And we used to rehearse. I remember it was an 8 a.m. game, which meant we couldn't go to the opening ceremony the night before because we couldn't have so much time on legs and we had to be up really early. So a sacrifice was missing the, the opening. But we used to rehearse this. And we were based in Joburg at the time. And we used to wake up at, at 4.35 a.m. And we'd have our early breakfast and early stretch and team talk. And we'd go down and we'd, pay, we'd play against um, the, the top uh, sort of uh, boys' school um, at the time in Joburg. So we'd play against boys. And, um, and we'd play at 8 o'clock. And this would happen weekly. So we'd go and rehearse this game, waking up at the right time, you know, playing. And what happened was every, our whole Olympic tournament was based off this one result, beating Holland in match one at 8 a.m. on that first day. And what happened? We got absolutely hammered. We lost 6-0. And we were so naive to think that we could do it, we're going to do it, and then we'd be set for the rest of the tournament. And we never looked beyond that game. And it was such a short-sighted goal, and it was probably unrealistic. And so what happened is the team derailed. After game one, we still had two weeks to compete, and, and we kind of fell apart and derailed. And so that, for me, was just a very, very big lesson learned. And so for the rest of that tournament, it took a few days uh, to bounce back and, and to really get over this huge setback. But what happened in the end is we started to then just focus on, on the performance. What are we here to do? What's our tactic? What are, we, what are our strengths? How are we going to you know, defend well, attack well? And in the end, halfway through the tournament, um, you know, without focusing on an end result now, we beat Germany 3-0. They went on to win the gold medal. And we had just beaten them 3-0. And it was a very different approach to this dream and this ambition, you know? And I think, I think it taught me a very big lesson early on is, is not to worry about that end result, not to be focused on the KPI, but to be focused on the performance because results will follow. And a, and a, a real example of that is, is at Adidas, we had a, a strategic business plan 
in uh, Route 2015, we called it. And it was very much focused on top line, bottom line. Um, and so when you, you go off track and you're not there, all of a sudden you start to make short-term decisions, you start to invest in the wrong things just to sort of get that end result. But it's not sustainable. And now we've just launched our, our next sort of five-year strategic business plan called Own the Game. It's positive, but it's a growth plan and it's an investment strategy. And we're going to invest and do the right things. And I can assure you results will follow if we, if we put our money where our mouth is and actually just invest in, in the right things for long-term sustainable growth. Kate, I wanted to go back to to Tom's question on you know what would you change if you went from business back to sport now, and you just you, you said you'd give it more, you know, and I think we're both conscious, or all three of us are conscious, how energy ebbs and flows every single day. I mean, is it realistic, or is it maybe a little bit idealistic to say that you would go out and smash it two hundred percent every single day? And then what what is like what do you as a positive um, sort of uh, positive energy ball? What do you look like? when you're having a bad day how does how do you rock up you know such a great point and and you're right it's absolutely not sustainable 100 percent of the time and so what i've also learned and probably another thing i'd go and take back um and probably actually what i learned the most was in 2012 um at the london olympics i was juggling work motherhood and playing um, for my country at the olympic games so perspective kyle perspective is is something and balance i'd probably take back and when i say work harder is in those moments where you're working hard and you're preparing for a tournament, make every sacrifice you can. Make sure you're sticking to your program 100% of the time. Make sure that that is, is you giving your absolute everything and more. But the times where it is rest, rest. The times where there is downtime, take it. The times where you need to invest in family time or yourself, that self-care, wow, is it critical. Because if, if I'm not a functioning unit myself, nothing around me is, is going to work. And this is also what I've, what I've learned now today is, is this balancing act. It's, it's, it's something that doesn't really exist. It's about managing. It's about managing what you can. And it's about being kind to yourself. So, so when I'm, when I'm um, you know, yeah, I, I think the, the motherhood, the family and the work pull at the moment is real for me. You know, I only have so much time in my day. I'm not going to get time back. And so when I'm, I'm at work, be at work fully and present. But when I need to go home and it's quality family time, be 100% present in that moment. Um, when I'm having a bad day here, it's probably because my, my balance is completely out of sync. And uh, the first thing Duncan Woods would tell me is go for a run. <laughs> go, go and get a release, you know, go and play some sport because, because that's what feeds me. Um, I, I need to exercise. I need to have those endorphins flowing. I need to just, you know, just calm myself, bring the balance back. Um, and so while I, someone else would default to, no, I need to be with the kids now because I haven't seen them all day. Actually, it, it's probably not the right thing to do. So stress reliever, know your stress relievers. Um, know yourself and know what you need. And, and for me, it's, it's, it's sport. For myself, it's work and it's family. And I need to make sure that there's a there's a really balanced sort of uh, structure within my day to make sure that I'm, I'm not completely losing it. Um, for sure, in, in sport and work, you go through cycles and periods of busy times, of, of phases and stages that are going to push you harder, that are going to probably be ill-balanced. But it's important to make sure that you, you recover and you restore that sort of balance afterwards. Yeah, yeah it's, it's wonderful, to, Tom, to hear another, um, uh, another story about kids and family bringing perspective. I'm just I'm loading Tom up for you know, his, uh, his journey into parenting. <laughs> so. 
Is it Carl will find time? a way to bring <laughs> Carl will find a way to bring his kids into any podcast we do. <laughs> um, no, okay, I, I mean I think what I'm hearing there's a nice theme, you know, Carl. If we think about what what Sam Paddock, who was our previous guest, spoke about, is that balance is is impossible, but it's mm. about understanding the different roles that you play, yeah, and playing mm. those roles well, which which I'm hearing come mm. in different words, but I'm hearing a similar theme coming from you, Kate. Um, mm-hmm. So thanks for sharing that. I'm quite interested in this concept of process. You know, we've heard it before. Focus on the process, not the outcome. <laughs> you know, you'll get there. And 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 how it changed for you in that Olympics. I mean, it's a great story about, you know, everything's geared for Holland. You get pumped by Holland and then you go and end up beating the gold medalist. Um, which leads me to, like, the motivator of people. So I would, I don't know this for a fact, but now you've lost to Holland and you played Germany. Did you still have a chance of qualifying for the gold medal match yourself when you played Germany? No, no. By then we were two or three, three games down in our pool. Um, and so what we had a chance of, of playing off for was sort of that middle position. Um, you know, mm. you don't want to, you don't want to end bottom of your pool. Uh, because then you're in the sort of the last qualification round matches. You want to end in that sort of belly in the in the middle. Um, and to be honest, that that's a that's a very ambitious but realistic goal for any South African hockey team competing at the Olympic Games. We simply aren't playing enough, um, and we simply don't match up to the professional nature of the, of the other teams. However, there's there's a raw talent and there's a fight and there's a resilience in South Africans. And so anything can happen on the day. And so we just need to to work hard to to keep to keep competitive and, and to keep sort of, yeah, I guess competitive in that sort of middle, um, on those middle placings. And there's another example, Tom, in London, in London Olympic Games, we had unfortunately had a tough journey in the first four games of the pool. And come the last game, we were playing against USA. And in order to get to that higher qualification, uh, those higher classification matches, we were left with a task to not only beat USA, but to beat them by five goals. Now, I talk about USA, they just pumped a lot of money into hockey, into women's sport, actually, in the country. Um, and they were fully professional. They'd been living together, training together for the last three years. We, they were ranked three, four places above us. And we now had to beat them, but not only beat them, we had to beat them by five goals. And I, I was incredibly proud of how we approached that game. It was not, guys, we have to win five goals, so we have to go, you know, goal, goal, goal. We, we just focused on what's it going to take to win? How are we going to attack them? How are we going to defend them? What's our tactics? What are we going to do on the, sh- on the set pieces? And let me tell you, we walked away from that game with a 7-0 victory. It was one of my proudest moments and, and, and also one of those games that will be etched in my mind and heart forever. And it was simply following the process and sticking to the plan and giving absolutely everything in terms of guts and legs and everything we've got. And it was just this moment in sport, this sort of fluid moment where everything comes together beautifully. And it was just goal after goal after goal. So 7-0, walking away from, from that match with a very different approach um, in performance, in the journey rather than in the, the absolute outcome. Tom, I, I, would, uh, I would like to just, just, sorry, just jump in on the Olympic theme and, and, and where we're going with perspective. And, and my two cents on my... Um, my, my outing in Rio and how much perspective it gave me um, about the whole sporting world. You know, I think we, I think I might have mentioned this also before, Tom, but uh, the world we live in in South Africa is like winning is everything. First is first, second is last. And it sort of, it, it lines up with the process and, and almost as well as gratitude and enjoying the moment of being there and all of that. 
when you know when we arrived at the Olympics to see so many different teams and so many different athletes and and I think it's like twenty five thousand athletes, whereas maybe there's a hundred or you know thousand maybe can win medals, and if you come from a South African mindset, you start to think like, well, what are the rest of them doing here? Why are they even bothering? You know, and and truly you see the happiness on everybody's face when they get the opportunity just to compete at the highest level, and that was that was a huge moment in my career where I thought like. Wow, I think I've just been getting it wrong the whole time. You concentrate on the outcome and, and you lose sight of what you're actually doing, what you're part of and how, how hard you've sac- or how much you've sacrificed and how hard you've worked to be in that position. It was a really, really great moment to be. Um, but it's funny that it took like the world's biggest stage to, to push that into my face for me to realize, okay, well, you should be enjoying the, the journey a hell of a lot more than where you're actually supposed to be ending up. Do you think, Carl, in your Olympic journey... Do you think in your Olympic journey, that, that, that Rio Olympics, do you think you performed at potential, below potential, or above potential? Uh, below potential, you know, and, and, and we've got to be okay with that. Like, I, can, I, can't, live, like, I can't live my life with, with regrets the whole time. I, I know that sport is up and down like that, and we, we showed, you know, glimpses of what we were capable of. But, I mean, we came back, we came back home, and we were, we were sort of in the media in – Saskox media as like South Africa's biggest disappointment with a bronze medal so naturally we we did perform below expectations and that was a very hard pull to swallow but I had one shot you know we had we I had one shot personally as a player and I wasn't going to look back on this whole journey thinking what an absolute failure it was Um, I had an amazing journey towards the Olympics and I had an incredible personally I had an incredible experience and there's a there's a pretty cool photo on the on the podium when I'm standing there and I'm you know third place and I don't think too many people are smiling but I've got like ear to ear happiness because I don't think I'll ever get that I I will never get that moment again to be able to stand on that podium so um, awesome. again lo- loads of different you know perspective changes throughout the whole week or two weeks that we were there but no I don't think we performed as well as we should have we lost to Great Britain seven five in a semi final. Uh, and they they went on to get hammered by Fiji in the final, and I think we probably would have provided a lot better opposition to Fiji. Mm. Thanks, Carl. Thanks for sharing that. Kate, I, I this this concept of motivation, and if I if I look at you, you, you know, you've been highly successful. The South African hockey team, though, would probably be seen as an underdog in the hockey world. Is that a fair summarization? Hundred percent fair. Spot on. So. So we've got this underdog. Um, now, I had a conversation with former Springbok coach Nick Mallet once, and he told me about coaching Italy. Now, Nick Mallet's quite a unique guy, quite an outspoken guy, charismatic, and he told me about how he motivated Italy, the rugby team. And he said he would set them a goal of trying to lose by 20 points because they'd never lost by 20 points. And then he said he set them the goal of losing by 15 points and then lose by 10 points. He said to me, they're never going to win, but we just needed to get them to lose by less and less. Now, when I consulted my theory and my own intuition, I'm like, how can you motivate people to lose by a little? But it, he said to me, it worked for him. Now, I think that worked for Nick. I'm wondering how, and I'm, there's a second part to this question, but I'm wondering how you guys use that underdog way or mentality as a, as a, a motivator and be a pressure reliever or did you use it as a motivator and a pressure reliever and was that effective yeah i think it's an interesting one and you know each of us as individuals um 
are driven by different things and react different differently. Um, you know, I, I'm uh, on the Enneagram. I've heard you guys talk about that. Um, I'm a number three. <laughs> Um, not proudly oh, yeah. number three, because I know it comes with a, a, you know, a lot of downsides, but um, the competitive achiever. And so I, for me, like having a defeatist attitude is, is <laughs> it's a little bit foreign to me. But at the same time, boy, have I learned um, that realistic goal setting is is 100 percent stronger and more powerful than going out there with with you know dreams in the sky that aren't really going to happen and so for me we also approached it while we didn't while we didn't specifically say it's okay to lose this game um it was about defending defending to a nil nil result so let's do everything we can not to let them score you know and rather counting on those breakaway opportunities that might come or those set players that might come that you know, could result in, in a victory um, or, or a win for us. But but certainly, like, how long can we keep the US or Australia or the Germans or the Dutch out of our circle? How long can we keep the score nil-nil? Because that keeps you in the game. And that underdog mentality as South Africans is a very powerful one. This is incredibly powerful. And it's it's this dogged mentality of, like, just giving it everything, just fighting until um, the last second. And so, yeah, I would say that... While, it, while we didn't approach it, you know, in terms of scores and, and, and losses from the start, it was definitely, you know, playing to defend, defend the game first. Um, so, yeah, I think there's I think there's merit in that. Um, definitely, you don't ever want to start a game having lost already. Uh, that, that's, a, that's a bit foreign. But at the same time, you know, how long can you keep yourselves in the game, I think is, is key. Um, and so, as South Africans, we certainly in my sport, Kyle, not in, not in yours, but certainly certainly in my sport, we we are always most likely the underdogs um, of of the match. I, I think um, most South African teams place themselves as an underdog. M- my concern is whether that is um, that's exhaustible. Like I think I don't think that's a sustainable energy source to be considered the underdog all mm. the time. Um, and I think every now and then the transition from being underdog to being somebody who's confident with their performance is is necessary. I mean, I know we used the underdog thing quite a lot in, in sevens and we probably weren't the underdog, but we use it quite a lot. But I also know that it doesn't last forever, you know. So mm-hmm. m- my concern would be that <clears throat> at some point you have to transition to that point where, right, we're confident with our performance. Yeah. And then and then move forward from there and then play from a base of confidence as, as opposed to a... Um, I don't know, not wanting to lose. Yeah, and I, I think it's important, you know, in different, in different tournaments or series and with different competition, you, the, I guess the ultimate is is to practice being in all different circumstances and situations. You know, we used to play in four nations, six nations tournaments around the globe, still against some of the best nations, you know, around the world. Um, and we didn't view ourselves as the, the complete underdog in, in that tournament, for example. I mean, I remember in Athens, we, we had a pre-Olympic tournament a year out just to test facilities and that. We had some fantastic nations that we were up against. It was a four nations. And guess what? There was Team South Africa on the gold podium. Uh, we won that four nations. And so, you know, tough teams, different circumstance, just a four nations, a little bit, you know, easier to, you know, one result could turn the, the, the end result quite quickly. And so, you know, it's, it's important, I think, that to not label yourselves as the underdogs in every single competition, um, but to, to, to know the moments where you are and to play with that fight, but then also to know the moments that, hang on, like, actually, everyone's scared of us here. And, and they've got to play not to lose. And they've got to watch out. Yes, yes, Team South Africa. So I think with, with any careers, certainly certainly in hockey, you know, they're, and they're going to be different nations that also go through cycles. I mean, New Zealand in, um, was it Rio or London? 
They, 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 they made, they made the, the, the semis. They, they won a medal at the Olympic Games. I mean, they were ranked similar to us. A little bit of grassroots, a little bit of investment, you know, the sport turning quite professional commitment. They prepared themselves like a top dog team and they came up there and they, and they left with a medal. Um, and so, yeah, it's all possible. And I think you go through different stages, but it's important to, to practice winning, to practice the underdog mentality, to practice, you know, playing where you have different roles um, at different stages. Kate, you've, you've moved from underdog uh, hockey player with, the, with, with South Africa into, uh, to be honest, a, a company that I don't construe as an underdog. Uh, you know, a big player in the, in the world of sports, you know, Adidas, everyone knows Adidas. But you've then gone to Dubai, you've gone to Germany, and now you're back in South Africa. So you probably had times where maybe you felt a little bit um, like the underdog going in those different spaces. Maybe just give us a little bit into, uh, of a praise, specifically leading in um, Dubai and in Germany. Um, for you as a South African lady going over there and having to, you know, be that Enneagram 3, that competitive achiever in that space and some, and some learnings that you had from leading in different cultures. Thanks, Tom. Yeah, it's, it's been an unbelievable journey and a huge, huge growth curve. Um, so first it was taking the courage to pluck up the courage to actually move our family of five um, across the seas and, and to start to sort of travel and explore. So um, we had twin, our twins were, I've got three boys and, and um, at the time the twins were, were two. And Dunks had a serious job here, and um, you know, so it was it was really a very big decision. But the f- the first thing was actually taking the plunge, um, and stepping out of our comfort zone. And for sure, you 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 rock up in a world where you are the serious underdog or it, the minority. Um, and so Dubai was the first stint. Um, we spent eighteen months in Dubai, and then the next opportunity came knocking at the door. And this was really really very much sooner than we had expected. We didn't expect to move again so quickly. But as a family, we made the decision that um, actually Europe is, is where we would want to be. Um, the, the opportunities at Adidas, certainly being, you know, being able to work on at a global headquarter campus is, is absolutely incredible. And, and for the family, we decided that, that that's where we want to be. So, you know, it was an uncomfortable move again. And certainly that's probably where I grew the most. You know, I'm arriving to the, the global headquarters. Um, I was working for Market Europe. There was a huge contingency of Germans, of Brits, and of the French. And there was this little lonesome South African woman's voice (laughs) at the table. And so it did. It took a huge amount of of courage um, to have a voice, to show my presence. Um, You know, I'm still learning about the region, but at the same time, I know the qualities and strengths and experiences that I can bring to the table. And I think, you know, that that was really my my biggest voice, uh, my biggest experience in learning is, is that I never once doubted myself that I didn't or couldn't add value to the conversation, that I couldn't you know, put my point of view and and opinion across. I sat at that table with a strong voice. I sat not because I knew everything, quite the opposite, but I knew I could learn quickly and I knew I could add value. Um, I have a huge desire to to contribute, to learn and grow. And I also have a huge amount of, of courage to put myself out there, but also confidence. You know, I sit at a table and I'm saying, yes, I'm the only, I'm probably the only female. So there's the whole female stigma attached to it as well. But also I'm the only South African amongst amongst the Europeans. And I've got to actually command the, you know, or decide on, on where we go and what we do here. Um, but I'm sitting at that table thinking, I, I doubt any of these guys have been to three Olympic Games. I, I doubt any of these guys have mothered twins and breastfed four times in the night and still worked a day a full day the next day you know so I, I sit there with with a lot of um 
self-confidence and and more just from a more from a, a, a point of view of like just the inner strength that I've realized that I have um, and and yours sorry Tom you wanted to add in there no no no, no. that was me signaling to Carl um, <laughs> no carry on I, I mean I, I'm, I'm fascinated is that inner strength learned or is it inherited i mean is it something that you've always had or is that something that you learn because you you I'm, I'm listening to you talk um like an enneagram three you know um i've mothered kids i've done this i've done that so you, I'm, I'm seeing you're gaining you're almost feeling you're gaining your own credibility from the things that you've done which for me feels perfectly natural um is that something that you've learned or did you have you always had that self-assuredness i think it's a bit of both I definitely think it's a, it's a bit of both and, and also through through the nurturing, you know, how I was brought up. Um, you know, my mom showed me a whole lot of strength. We lost my dad when I was four. And so, you know, my mom was a working mom trying to provide for us, trying to send us to the best schools and, and sporting tours and everything else. And, and so I've, I've grown up, you know, seeing that. Um, she's also given me the self-confidence along the way. Um, then suddenly your sport turns into, you know, results and success. And then you just, you just start to build with every life experience and chapter of your life. You start to build um, this self-confidence or, or just strength. Um, we've, yeah, we've, as every family, you know, suffered, suffered along the way, and have had to to, to get by. Um, and you, you just, you're just building that as you go along. Um, you know, for me, it's like I said, it's not about what I know. I, I absolutely sit at a table and have to ask questions a lot of the time. Um, I don't know everything, but it's also that self confidence to recognize that and to own it and to not be afraid of it. Um, I don't have to pretend. That's the one thing I do know is that I don't have to pretend. What I don't know, I don't know, but I'll quickly learn um, and gain experience in that area. What I do know, I will bring to the table in a confident way. Um, I'm very, I'm very ambitious. I, I, we, we've gone through very, very different um, personality assessments. The one was a, the Hogan result. I don't know if you know the Hogan study. And, and I scored 100 on ambition. It, it was like 100 out of 100. And I said, no, this is crazy. This is not good. This is, this is surely exposing a lot of weaknesses. But at the same time, the interpersonal sensitivity was also 100. And so it isn't success at the cost of everything else. It isn't ambition and success for me personally. It's about bringing people with me. And I think that is one of the strengths I've recognized is that I, I am incredibly passionate about people working in team environments, but also just rallying up the teams to, to believe in the same purpose, you know, and to, to really work hard towards that vision. And so what I do bring to the table is, is a, a strong point of view and a voice, but at the same time, it's a collaborative one. It's one that's coming from, guys, we've got this. We are going to do this. This is what we think. Is that, is that where the, the nickname the lioness comes from? Um, because I, I my sense. Oh, who have you so, been speaking so, so, to? So, yeah, I've spoken to a few people, but but I mean, one of the one of the people I spoke to said probably one of the most inspirational leaders I've ever worked with um, was what was what this person's this, his quote was to me about you, um, and then it, it mentioned the lioness in terms of this balance between, like, um, I think the quote was don't get in her way when she's got when she wants to get something but also this interpersonal sensitivity um maybe just talk us through that balance Kate like is that conscious is it something that people can you know who are listening to this that they can get better at and get right yeah and you tell know, us who gave you the line is for the first time yeah. as well <laughs> 
Oh, this this was actually none other than Kevin Foot himself. Um, he named me the lioness. And to be honest, you, you can ask him, I was actually quite offended initially. I was like, the lioness? I'm not this fierce animal. <laughs> what are you seeing here? But, um, you know, diving into really the definition of the lioness, it's actually for me um, one of the biggest compliments I could have received. And it, it has... Um, it has spread and a lot of people have cottoned onto it. And, and now I'm starting to embrace it because I understand and relate to those qualities, you know, fierce and ambitious, but yet tender and caring and, and fiercely protective of team, my team, whether it be my family, whether it be my team at work or the team on the sports field. Um, and so I will be very vocal, um, but in protection of them. And I, I, it's, it is never about me succeeding um, or being recognized alone. It, it's about the collective. So, you know, for me, I, I, I guess if I look back um, at my journey, there are a lot of indicators that show that I'm success driven and, and sort of uh, very ambitious. But I never knew to what extent other than when, you know, on black and white on these all these assessments, it starts to play it back to me quite consistently. And it starts to really show me this, the, 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 at what point of the scale I'm on, which actually became a bit worrying. And I, and I said to Dunks, I said to him, but I'm but like, is this really me? Because. I didn't know how how much of it I had or, you know, that I really was driven so much in this way. But the really it was just seeing the combination of that inter interpersonal skills and the passion for people that, that does make it a successful recipe. And I definitely think that with every with every strength and success, there's a shadow. So I'm not here to say that, you know, this is, this is all good. <laughs> <laughs> this is not all good. Um, I do understand, um, you know, the shadows that, that come with that. And, and I think so for, for, for every single one of us, whatever our strengths are, be aware of the shadows and make sure that we're compensating in, in that. You know, I've been told that I can be quite intimidating. Um, I've also, you know, on the, on the, on the, in the workplace, can you believe one of my, my German bosses' feedback he gave me says, you're too nice. <laughs> I said, that's not feedback I can work with. <laughs> I'm not going to change. I'm always going to be nice and friendly um, and polite, but I'm also going to be firm and I'm also going to know what we need to do to get the job done. So come and call me out when the job hasn't been done, but you can't call me out for being nice um, because that's not going to change. And so, yeah, I think it's just being aware of these strengths and being aware of the shadows that, that come with them. Um, I'm not going to name them all now, but for sure they exist. Tom and Carl, for sure they exist, and and it's about being highly self-aware of them. Kate, I don't know if this is something that's been learned from from or taken from sport, or, or maybe it's something that you just felt that was necess, uh, necessity to creating a good team environment. But it seems like you push a strong sense of belonging amongst your team, and and with that, you take a major ownership in your own team and the the people around you. Um, how much you know? I suppose moving towards team creation, team culture, that kind of thing. Where do you put that sense of belonging um, on, on that value hierarchy? You're very high up, very high up. There's not a single team that I've worked in um, or led that we don't start with that. We don't start with our, our belonging, our identity and defining what our culture is. For me, this is just absolutely fundamental um, before anything else. Um, and, and for me, it's, you know, leadership, actually, if I take a big step back, leadership is not just about one single moment, one defining moment that sort of crowns you a leader. It's about small acts, small acts and small moments that are done consistently. And all of those small little acts and behaviors really shape and define the, the culture. And, um, and, and yeah, th this for me is, is critical. The other thing about belonging is um, we need to care very deeply for each other. Genuine care is what I call it. It's not just, hey, Carl, how's your day? Cool, I'm walking while I'm not even listening to your answer. It's, it's genuinely, how are you doing? 
you've got a little toddler, you haven't slept much, how can I help you today? It's, it's that genuine care that um, for me is critical. And then obviously working in a place like Adidas, um, I'm so lucky, I, I'm so grateful and so blessed to be working in a company that I share the same values as the company. So shared values at the, at the start of it, at the, at the start of, of what the company believes in and then what the team believe in and then we, what we're going to do to action against those visions, missions, beliefs. This is all part of shaping it and, and you guys know this better than I do. But it's, it's absolutely fundamental, authentic. And Kate, I wondered whether ambition and care ever clash. Um, you know, like, geez, I want to get something done. Um, and but then you know someone's having a bad day or they or they you know they they haven't slept because they were breastfeeding or whatever and the ambitious Kate wants to like get things done and reach the goal but the caring Kate is going hang on you know be empathetic like do those ever clash is there ever a tension between those for you yeah for sure it's tough and also coming back to while I've been traveling abroad and gaining uh, you know some really nice experience I've, I've come back to lead people that were once my colleagues and friends and so, for sure, it's 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 a tough um, it's a tough role to now step back as the leader, and and to sort of show that firmer line, um, and also to set expectations. I do set expectations quite high, um, but at the same time, I'm compassionate. And so, it's it's not sort of a, a black and white. There's a little bit of you know, today I'm going to give you cut you a bit more slack. Today I'm going to support you. Today I'm going to do your work. But tomorrow, um, you know, I, I expect you to, to come back and, and and show up as we need you to. But for sure, it's it's a tough juggling act. And this is one I actually struggle with. I struggle with any friction in my teams. I struggle with any, I don't struggle with conflict because I think if the, the conflict is healthy, it's going to make us stronger. And so I, I absolutely encourage, you know, that dialogue and that confrontation in the team environment, but but only constructively and only to lead us to a, a better place. Um, if there's actual friction, um, I, I really struggle with that. So for me, it's it's about how happy is your sandpit. My sandpit needs to be happy in, in order for us to get the results. But um, yeah, I think with any team, you, you're not going to be on, on top of your game every day. And I'm quite open with that with my team. Yesterday, I said to my team, guys, I'm exhausted. I'm, I'm actually shattered. I need this Easter weekend more than anything. Um, help me through this week. I need you because I'm, I'm not feeling on top of my game. And I think showing that vulnerability and showing that you also go through that. You know, I also, if I've also slept badly or done this or that, like, I, I'm needing my team to cover for me as well. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely an art, not a science. It's, it's hard. It's a balancing act. Um, and they do clash, but I think there's, there's skills and ways to, to manage it, to work around it. The, 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 there was another clash there that, uh, that you were talking about, and it's more based around expectation. You're clearly somebody who expects a hell of a lot from yourself. Now, how do you go around leading a team where, <laughs> <there's>, <laughs> you know, I'm sorry to say that not too many people are going to meet your uh, equal expectations of yourself. So how do you go about managing those expectations of others? It's a very good question and actually something I grapple with. I'm, I am. I'm hard on myself. And whatever my team are delivering, I take it upon myself. It's a reflection on me. And so you're right in that some, some areas that I'm not 100% happy with, uh, you know, I, it, I grapple with it. I, I really do. But I, I need to, I, I've learned along the way to not sweat the small stuff, you know, to really focus and, and to be not on the dance floor, to be on the balcony looking ahead and not to be worrying about this, the smaller stuff. But at the same time, I, I do put a huge amount of, of expectations on myself. And, um, and what, I, what I told my team, at the, at the start of, of when I joined back in South Africa, I, the one thing I did share with them, uh, the, the one thing I'm allergic to are passengers. With my, you know, my history, my work ethic, how ambitious I am, you know, I'm going to roll up my sleeves and, I, and I'm going to work hard and I'm going to give you my all. 
And so the worst thing for me is to look around and to see people coasting or to see people not um, playing their role. Um, if they play to their role and they're giving it their absolute best and it's still maybe just shy of the mark and whatever, that's okay. That's okay. It's, for me, it's about attitude and it's about hard work and it's about playing to your role and it's about helping the person next to you. It's, it's not about the perfect outcome. But a passenger for me is some, that, that's when I'm going to struggle. Um, and the same, you know, I, I, that's what I, my boss can expect from me to roll up my sleeves and to give it my all and to work hard. And that's what I'm going to expect from my team. Um, so it's, it's more about that, I think. And if that's managed well, then the outcome is, is the outcome. Um, Kate, I mean, we're coming to a close of this conversation. There's one thing that I, I think is interesting for me. So sports is probably still a, quite a male-dominated world. Um, Adidas is a sporting business. Um, as a woman, as a as a as a woman leader, um, in this sort of, I I I I stop short of saying it's a masculine culture, but if I just look at it systemically across the world, we're still in the sporting world. Um, is there, is there has there been some moments where you have really? Uh, I'm probably I'm, I'm gonna have to edit this because I'm not asking the question right, but. <laughs> <laughs> from from a from a um from a female from a female leader perspective in a sporting environment, um, have there been some some difficulties for you where you've actually had to say no, hang on, like that's not acceptable. I'm being treated differently because I'm a female than if I were a male. Um, Tom, personally, I, I can't say I've had experiences that I feel like I'm I'm being treated differently, but I can say that our culture at Adidas is one that hasn't been inclusive enough. Um, and diversity doesn't stop at uh, gender. And so this is obviously a, a massive theme around the globe at the moment. And I'm so proud of our company um, and what we're doing to, to tackle that. So let me take you through a few examples. First of all, diversity in the workplace. We need to be, we're a global brand and we need to represent our consumer base. And at the moment, we're not representative enough. So just last week, super proud to, to say that, um, you know, at Adidas, we've, we've launched a program um, where we're calling it Future Leaders. And we're trying to identify who our future leaders are for, for, for the future, who our leaders are for the future. So it's, it's not about how we look today but it's about grooming and developing for the future um, we are recruiting for black African male or females to come and enter our business we're also partnering them with six internal people of color and we've got a program where we really are going to make sure that we tackle um, inequality um, in our workplace and we had Brian Abana we had Gary Kirsten Nolene Conrad sit on the panels last week so how incredible for these guys um, there were 3,000 applicants for four positions this shows you the demand to come and work for our for our brand and together with some of the senior leaders you know you, here they, they're being interviewed by Brian Abana to see if they're going to work at Adidas. I think it was such an incredible um, moment last week for our company and, and we're doing the right thing to make sure that we are more representative in the workplace. So that's on culture and race and diversity. When it comes to gender equality, um, one, we're not represented enough internally. We are represented, Tom, but not in leadership positions. And so it is an absolute priority for the company around the globe to make sure that we are understanding what's preventing that. What are the barriers and break them down? How do we afford more females equal opportunities in leadership roles? But here's my very competitive self-talking. Don't ever give me a role that I don't deserve either. So it's about balancing to make sure that it still comes with a lot of credibility and merit and not just ticking boxes. But we're doing the right things to, to look at that. But here's the thing. I've challenged my brand team. Yes, when it comes to products and stories and campaigns, we're focusing more on her, on the female consumer, and start to be, you know, talking to her more. But internally, 
within our partner portfolio, within our athletes, within the creators and influencers that we work with, do you know that we were 90% male? Of our sports marketing portfolio, we had 90% male athletes on our books. And I was not happy with this. This is not representative enough. This is not trying to, to change the cycle. And so we really have done a lot of work to make sure that we're finding those female athletes, those female talents that need brands like ourselves to back them. We're needing to invest in them, and we're needing to invest in them equally. We are making sure that we not only have a representative portfolio, but that in what we pay them, in their value and their worth is equal as well. So if we're looking at a Laura Wolfart, I mean, she's absolutely incredible. She deserves just as much as her male counterparts. Um, we're also not only looking at, you know, sporting codes, we're also looking at ability. We've got an amazing new signing in Anne Renee. She's off to her third Paralympic Games this year in Tokyo um, in 200 and 400 meters. We've got Zintler, um, Kyle, I hope you know Zintler, firefighter by day and rugby player by night, um, representing the sevens and fifteens. You know, it's yeah. about finding these these athletes, these talented women that exist, and it's about giving them a platform to shine and to make sure that they get the investments um, that they deserve. So we're looking at it across all areas of our business, not only internally in staff, but also in athletes and who we partner with, also in, in consumers and how we talk to them. We just need to be more representative and inclusive. And, and I'm proud of Adidas. I'm proud of the steps we're taking to, to get there. Kate, I think the <clears throat> the one thing for me is the, the, the obviously diversity is key. I mean, I've got like a little talk thing that I do where diversity comes as one of the top four most important things um, in any institution, especially in South Africa. But ha- having you know, having diversity as a form of representation for uh, in the companies is is okay. But isn't it more important that you have that diversity in the <clears throat> in the company so that you're better able to understand the market? Yes. You know, you're able to 100%. get. So I mean, the, the way I say it, the way I use it is that you've got all these problems. Everybody has problems. You know, every company, team, institution has problems. Mm-hmm. And having that diverse approach and having those diverse understandings of different solutions is what gives you the edge over anybody else. You know, it was it's, it's similar to any sports team where you have a diverse group of players with, you know, a, a wide range of skills. And it would be the same going into a company where they would have, especially in South Africa, again, where you have this diverse set of problems you know, embracing the diversity that we have in this country allows us to better understand the market and better approach, attack and, and you know, uh, make sure that you, you service those needs of, of those out there. 100% spot on. And it starts internally, as you've just said. We need to be making sure we represent all cultures, all perspectives, you know. We need to make sure that, that what we do speaks to everyone in the right ways and doesn't offend anyone and that we take everyone's point of view um, into consideration. So 100%. We've had we've just, as a, as a global company, just taken on um, a course. So every single one of us has competed in a, in a course um, on inclusion and diversity. And it's, it's amazing to see the results already, how much stronger we are just with a completely different mindset towards it but where we need to get even more stronger is to make sure that that it's permanently reflective in our workforce Kate, we've taken up a lot of your time and I know you, you, you unfortunately you've let us in by saying you're having a tough week so um, I don't want to overly burden this has been the best part of week. it <laughs> all good all is good but, but it has been absolutely wonderful 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 chatting to you. We, we, I want to ask you the final question that we ask everyone, um, which is if you are to, um, you've got three people to be part of your ideal team. The task of that team is ambiguous and sure. up to you, but they, they're your dream team. Who are, the, who are those three people and why that combination of three? 
plus you, so four. Oh, this is a toughie. This is a toughie. Okay, the first one is not not tough at all. Duncan Woods would would be on my team. Um, Mahabi, my personal coach, um, he brings such a calming nature. You know, if you picture the lioness, picture the lioness and picture a lion behind the lioness. Um, you know, I can only tackle and be strong to face what's in front of me because of what's behind me. And I really feel that Dunks is, is my biggest supporter um, and it just brings a calm level head to, to everything. Um, he's got good taste in, in wine and, and music as well. And I get to sleep with him. So <laughs> he's, uh, he's number one. Um, in terms of my, 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 my circle of friends, sure, I've got some, some really colorful characters that I just adore. Um, and each of them brings such such value to our lives. But I'm probably probably going to say Anli Kotze here. So she was my my, my digs mate and roommate um, growing up at Varsity and and on on tour. So met her on the sports field. Um, she's a philosopher. She's um, got a wicked sense of humour, but she's also very very calming. And so I think complements um, my wildness and, and high energy as well. Um, Sure, I've got many mates that I would that I would pick for the third spot, but I guess that's going to be tough. So, can I be um, can I be left field and say I would bring back my dad? I'd, I'd put my dad in my team, and I didn't get to know my dad too well. So I'm I'm living by stories that people tell me. And uh, while he was an incredibly talented athlete, he was a big, the biggest gentleman and, and full of charisma. Um, my mum tells me I get a lot of my characteristics from him. And so to sit around a fire with now my husband and the best mate and my dad, I think, I think this would be the, the, the perfect team for me. Oh, wonderful. Okay, what a cool team. What a cool team. Yeah, well, well answered. Um, Kate, thank you so, so much. I, I know that you're doing amazing things at Adidas, and I know that um, there's b- probably bigger and brighter things uh, on the way for you as well. And I really, really, well, for both of us, we really just appreciate your time and let us into your thoughts and sharing those cool stories from the Olympics and from Kony standing on a stage in front of 1,500 people. <laughs> like They're all awesome, and we could probably carry on talking to you for hours. But um, thank you so, so, so much for your time and um, yeah, all the best with the with the, the Easter weekend break and then what's ahead for you. Thanks so much, guys. Absolute pleasure from my side. Keep well and chat soon. Awesome, Kate. Thanks, Kate. Cool. Yeah, what a privilege to speak. I mean, I must say, Carl, I haven't uh, spent much time with Kate or know a huge amount about her yeah. um, other than the research and chatting to people. But sure, she didn't disappoint. Uh, I felt quite inspired just in that hour chatting to her. Um, what was your take? Um, yeah, I think she's got really interesting insights into so many different aspects of, of an athlete's pathway out of sport and the way that she grew into those different leadership roles. And more importantly, I think the way that she took those skills and, and lessons that she learned from sport into into a brand new world. And I think something I mentioned before, maybe we weren't recording yet, but it's something that, that athletes could do a hell of a lot better at instead of underestimating themselves and undervaluing themselves in the world. Um, it would really help with, I think, what Sam mentioned last week, that self-esteem going into that brand new world. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, you know what I love about these podcasts, Carl, is that we... A lot of you hear concepts that you know, you know theoretically and you, you know intuitively, but then when you hear them told through story and you really get a deeper sense about them, you know, it's like a lot of no concepts are new. They've all been invented probably thousands and thousands of years ago, but they yeah. need to be rehashed. And I just love that story she told about the build up to Holland and Project Holland. And, you know, in my own experience now being involved in rugby teams, you know, I, I think like, you know, you can really overhype a specific game. And then once they 
just went into process focus. They went and thrashed Germany and she told the story about the USA as well. So yeah. I love that idea around you can gain real motivation and energy from a really tight process and you don't have to build up and do all put too many bells and whistles on something that's quite simple and joyful in itself. Oh, I mean, that's it. Simplicity all the time. 100%. No, thanks, Kyle. Well, thanks again for another great week. And we got just a couple more in this, in this uh, season. And I look forward to uh, surprising everyone next week with who we've got. <laughs> Thank you, bro. Have a good day. You too. Bye.